0: Very glad to have all of you with us for Political Rewind today. We've got a very special guest here in the studio with us who I'll introduce in just a moment. Uh, But before I get to him, let me introduce uh, the others who are sharing Political Rewind with us today. Kevin Riley, the boss, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us most Thursdays, and he is here today. Hey, how are you, Kevin?
1: Uh, good. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this show
0: today. Yeah. Uh, we should congratulate you, your Dayton Flyers, uh, uh, one of the great basketball teams in the country this season. Won again last
1: night, is that right? They won their 19th game in a row last night, and they're currently ranked number three in, in the country.
0: The country. Am I right that this set a record for the team for consecutive victories?
1: I think they are one game away from One game
0: record. away. Okay.
1: You got your tickets? Yeah, I'm just, you know, my advice is pick them in the NCAA tournament. You can make some money because they're going to surprise some people. Okay.
0: That sounds great. Uh,
1: Heath Garrett, Republican strategist, a former chief of staff to Johnny Isaacson,
0: running any number of Republican campaigns in the 2020 cycle. Do you have a basketball team?
2: University of Georgia.
0: Oh, of course.
2: <laughs> so my, you're loyal, loyal to you? <laughs> <laughs> That's loyalty, right there. Yeah. Uh, no and,
0: and and the special guest I was talking about is Ambassador Andrew Young. Um, born in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, sir, came to first Alabama, then to Georgia as a pastor. Right. Uh, went on uh, as a civil rights, we all know about a- Andrew Young's work in the civil rights movement, working with Dr. King. a little later served in Congress, starting in what 1972. served three ter- you were elected three times we're elected three times, but I didn't serve the third time. Right uh, because you were appointed by uh, President Carter, Carter to be the UN ambassador and uh, went on served two terms as mayor of Atlanta you uh, an incredible career what have i left out that we should make sure people oh ran for governor in 1990 you could have left that out. no <laughs> here's why i don't want okay so let me let me just say every time you and i do something publicly together i always feel like i need to say out front i am we've known each other for 30 plus years yeah to me you're andy right it is no means a sign of disrespect for you, but that's how we talk to each other. No problem. You're okay with that. I'm okay with that. Okay. He's certainly been called worse things,
1: Bill. I'm sure.
3: <laughs> we also I really have You know, <laughs> I've had a pretty easy time in politics around here. Yeah, you really have. Yeah. As a matter of
0: fact, um, you and I like to discuss politics. Your office happens to be on the third floor of this building. I love coming up and. Talking to you. So, we're going to talk some politics and then give you a chance to talk about some of the things that are on your mind right now. How's that? That's wonderful. All right. Let's start with an interesting piece of information that I just got from uh, Jim Galloway, your uh, uh, political writer, lead political writer. And when, who
1: will be, I'm sure, on the show tomorrow. Yeah, he'll with be you. here tomorrow. But okay. he's always working, Jim Galloway. He
0: is. Wednesdays and Sundays, you read him in the AJC, of course, and, on, and he oversees the Political Insider blog. And one of the items, let me start with you on this, Andy, that he's going to uh, publish in a little while uh, at AJC.com is this. Early voting, of course, started in Georgia on Monday for the presidential preference primary. Uh, in 2016, three days into early voting, 10,194 people had voted. Jim learned from a Democratic operative um, at some point in the last uh, few hours that three days into voting this time, Andy, 50,520 people have voted. That's astonishing. What does that say to you? That says that uh, politics
3: is doing well in Georgia. And probably it says that uh, Stacey Abrams... Uh, who has been working on voter registration for the last five years or so uh, has probably done a pretty good job. But I don't know what's happening on the other side, and we don't know
0: whether they're voting Democrat or Republican. You know, that's an interesting question, Heath, because there are people – we've had a couple of early states where there has been a Republican vote, but Trump, of course, is the only one on the ballot – I think, uh, uh, it, is that the case here? I don't actually know if there are other Republicans well, gotta, on the Georgia ballot.
2: Yeah, I have to go back and look. I think William Weld and a, a couple of others if, did did make the ballot. And so I have to check, see where we are in Georgia on that, because it's not really been a race. I think this really talks about voter enthusiasm. And, you know, I said on the show many times, uh, Stacey Abrams has built a voter registration and a voter activation uh database and 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 organization uh, in a way that and the enthusiasm on the Democratic side's there. Uh, choices. You, you know, there's a philosophical debate going on within the party on what they want to be. I think there's real enthusiasm out there. And we as Republicans had better pay attention to that and not take it for granted in the state of Georgia.
1: Yeah, hey, I mean, Bill, though, you know, one of the things that happened this week and I'd like to know what what, uh, you know, these guys uh, think about this, you know, this race on the Democratic side turned so suddenly now it didn't turn before Georgia's, uh uh, you know early voting was available but it's a pretty unusual thing because you know one of the dangers with the early voting is what if something happens after you've cast your vote and should you wait for election day right i mean it's a different world now than it used to it's right if early people who voted on monday or
0: tuesday may have voted well that
3: was particularly true in california yes absolutely Uh, but um i think that uh, We've had so much problem with the weather, with congestion, with timing that we really need early voting uh, just to make sure everybody gets a chance. But um, I don't know that I think pretty by the time we come around march twenty four uh, it's uh, it's pretty clear who's running. And now, do you have a Republican primary?
2: Well, not not much of one, right? There are yeah. a couple. There are a couple of candidates challenging Trump, but
3: no. But can't. I'm I'm saying for the state seats.
2: Oh, for the yeah, uh, yes, they have some small Republican primaries around for congressionals and others, but, but not, not, on things, 24th. not on March twenty-fourth. Not on March twenty-fourth. That 24th, won't come until right.
0: May. March twenty-fourth is, is, well, is well, just me, the presidential preference Let me just brag a little party. bit. Sure, and, This is your
3: chance, it, absolutely. It's, uh, I came here in nineteen sixty-one, and I was. Here on a Field Foundation grant, Marshall Field, uh, to teach people to read and write in their communities to get their neighbors registered to vote. And we started in South Carolina. And it was started by Mrs. Septa McClark, who was a school teacher who uh, got fired for being a member of the NAACP. And she started teaching the longshoremen how to register to vote on the ferries from Johns Island to Charleston. Uh, they had an hour ferry ride, and she used that as a literacy class to register to vote. That got a grant from the Field Foundation that brought me to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. and. Uh, Jim Clyburn's parents Hmm. were part of the group that we worked with, (laughs) and they were community leaders. And we were looking for, what what we said was, we were looking for PhD minds uh, in the black community who had not had a chance to get an education. Uh, And there are some brilliant people who were denied formal education, and those were the ones we sought from uh, South Carolina, north to Virginia, and right on around to East Texas. And for the next six years, uh, that's what my work was, you know, with Martin Luther King, with Mrs. Sept McClark and Dorothy Cotton. And we covered every state, every county in South Carolina, the whole tidewater in Virginia. Uh, We were scattered around North Carolina but Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, uh, and East Texas, we pretty much covered the territory.
1: Would you say that you think that played out in this primary for Biden? I I would like to believe
3: that uh, that decade, well, 30 years of organization uh, has gone through many stages. Uh, But you look in Alabama now and you've got a young man from Morehouse uh, as mayor of Montgomery and another one, mayor of Birmingham. Uh, Their parents and grandparents were ones we worked with. Uh, And uh, I haven't been able to trace anybody in Mississippi yet. uh, But Natchez Mississippi, I was over there and that was... One of the few places where I had a miserable experience. Uh, and the mayor. In the civil rights movement. In the civil rights, the civil rights movement. Yeah. And, but the mayor of uh, Natchez, Mississippi, was elected with 93% of the vote in a city that's half and half black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he grew up there. Uh, he went away and got a doctorate, taught at Alcorn State. Uh, And then the black and the white community came together and asked him to run for mayor. Uh, And he got almost a unanimous thing that there's something happening in the South that we haven't been able to chronicle yet. And the first time we saw it nationally was with this Joe Biden resurrection.
0: I want to interrupt you just for a sec, uh, because um, I just looked it up online and Tom and Sam also sent this to me. It, it, they uh, uh, sparked my memory. T- Trump is the only name on the Republican uh, primary ballot on March 24th because the Georgia Republican Party asked that he be the only one on the ballot. What I think is interesting about that, Heath, is there are people who believe that when you do that sort of thing, limit the challenge on the Republican side of a ballot, whether it's here in Georgia or other states, you may be training some voters who otherwise might want to pick a Trump because there's more than one name. To go ahead and go over and take a Democratic ballot. <laughs>
2: there's no, there's no question there's always those who say, hey, you've got an open primary, you know, go play in it. I found that that's on both sides. Democrats do that in some other places. Well, but, I'm not talking yeah. about
0: going over to sabotage. I'm saying you to train. maybe give them the impulse to think about voting the, Democratic. Oh, by not having, right. Yeah. You know, I think that
2: there's some of that. Right. And. This year is even more so because you actually have this small subset of America who are Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump voters. Yeah. Right. They yeah. left Bernie last in 2016 and came over and voted for Trump and vice versa. So you're right. I think there's probably a small statistical sample that would fall in that category.
0: So can we talk for a few minutes and and everybody, please, let's all have this as an open conversation. But but I'd love to start with you on this, Andy. So we saw basically one of probably the most and let's see if you agree with this. One of the most unprecedented events in presidential politics unfold on Super Tuesday, where a Joe Biden, who came from absolutely nowhere, suddenly swept 10 states he was a he's he's been awarded at this point california appears to be a a sanders state um the, the votes are still being counted out there but suddenly uh biden is resurrected in a way that we've never seen really in presidential politics um and he did it largely on the african american vote
3: well that's why i i was thinking that uh, and particularly well i always knew or assumed uh That uh, Jim Clyburn was going to endorse him, I was sorry he didn't do it earlier, but uh I think that all of us were were kind of wondering did Joe really want to run yeah. and uh it uh there were so many uh missed signals the fact that uh Obama showed up in a Bloomberg commercial uh, and was m- mysterious. Uh, now he's in a Bernie. <laughs> commercial. Yeah. Sanders has now <laughs> released uh, a uh, commercial. Uh, uh, with uh, Ambassador Young, him the- you, I
1: mean, you, uh, you know Biden. I mean, what,
3: what do you think? I, let me t- I went to Congress with, the, with Joe Biden, yeah. uh-huh. and Joe Biden is almost a saint. <laughs> I mean, I, I really love and admire this guy. Mainly because shortly after we were elected, his wife was killed when a 18-wheeler flipped over yeah. one expressway and fell on top of a car with his wife and daughter yes. in it. And he would go home as soon as we'd left the floor of the house he would jump on a train and go home and take He'd care of go to those Wilming, kids. back to Wilmington Delaware every cause, day because he still had two uh, his two sons. His two sons were there but he went back and was was well probably the best father I've
0: ever known. Do you know uh, for that I it, it, I'll tell you a story about yeah. that. In 1987 when uh, Joe Biden launched his first presidential campaign. That was a year that I basically went to every Democrat and Republican uh, announcement campaign around the country. Joe Biden started his campaign with an announcement at the Amtrak station in Wilmington. And then we all got on board that train. They wanted to make sure that people understood the story of his dedication to Mm -hmm. his family. And we all rode to Washington where he had another event. But that story that you just told is truly a part of history that um, I think has made Biden seem special to a great many people. Well, he is. And,
3: and um, then to lose his wife, I mean, uh, a- another child yeah. uh, to cancer. And, you know, one of the things that got me close to the Republicans <laughs> in Congress was I went to the prayer breakfast every Wednesday morning. And by and large, we were not partisans. We weren't even political. We were human beings who were struggling with life's problems. And so people came there literally for prayer. Uh, Now, nobody thinks of the Congress (laughs) (laughs) that way, but um, you have a, a group of men and women. Who have the same problems. We probably, you know, catch diseases at the same rate. We break bones at the same rate. Our children have troubles at the same rate as all the rest of the Americans. And um, so that's where the prayer group, the gymnasium, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and um, the cloakroom. Uh, is where people are people. Uh, They're not politicians and they're not partisan. Uh, And you get to know you you get to know people as they really are. You become friends. And um, that's been missing, it seems to me, here lately in Congress.
2: No, that's right. I think if Johnny Isaacson were sitting here this morning, he would say and, and up until his retirement last month, he went to that same prayer breakfast sure. as a member of the U.S. House and then as a member of the U.S. Senate, but the numbers have dwindled. The number of people who take that time out of their week to go, it is very bipartisan. They check partisanship at the door. There's no discussions of policy or politics. It's really about faith and family and friends. But Johnny would tell you that that's a dwindling part of the life of Washington. And But he also would tell you the same thing, Ambassador, that That's where some of his best relationships on the other side of the aisle were formed. That's why he would still call Barack Obama and Joe Biden friends, even though they fight on philosophical points. They get along, you know, behind the scenes in the cloakroom. And I think that's that that is a diminishing.
0: And and I think that's the Congress I knew. Cokie Roberts told me uh, once, uh, Kevin. That she thought – and, of course, Cokie Roberts comes out of a, an, an illustrious political family. Her, her father, Hale Boggs, would have been someone who you would have known on the yeah, Hill. Yeah, but his, his – but his, her but mother went to – Congress. Right Lindy to Boggs, after Hale Boggs was, yeah. was mm-hmm. killed, unfortunately, in a plane crash, Lindy Boggs went. But Cokie said to me once, she thought – and this is apropos of what you're saying, Andy. Um, she thought, Kevin, that uh, what changed – started to change the dynamic was when um, – Members no longer moved their families to Washington. Yeah. When the families stayed in their home state, the mm-hmm. members, especially in the House, would go up to Washington. Maybe fly up Monday afternoon, Monday evening. Didn't want to vote on Friday, so they could come back to the, their home district on Tuesday Friday. Club. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And and she oh. said that changed everything because when she was growing up. The families used to have dinner together, Republicans and Democrats. The kids would play together. The families would meet at the schools, and 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 um, Cokie always thought that really started to make the change yeah. to this more partisan uh, atmosphere of today. Well, yeah,
1: and I, you know, I think that these lessons are very human, right? I mean, it's very hard to hate someone you see every day, you know, or that you know, and you know their situation or their circumstances or their problems that are. You know, it's just hard to do. But when they're distant, it's it's easier to talk about them in ways that that are not charitable. So, Andy, with all that in mind,
0: you're now facing we we now are on the verge of a two person race. Bloomberg has dropped out, of course, uh, and thrown his support to Biden. We're waiting to see whether Elizabeth Warren wants to hang in. There's some talk she wants to hang in until this uh, March 15th debate. We don't know about that. There's also talk between her and the Sanders people. The Biden people have talked to her. So, but what we're headed for when we get to, to Georgia is a two-person race. And right now, the party is terribly divided between the pro-Sanders progressives, especially younger members of the House. Well, like, that didn't turn out to be true, though. Well, I mean, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is still um, in in Sanders' camp. Ilan Omar is still no, in but, the camp. But I mean,
3: there's hardly been a time when, uh, uh, I mean, Bella Abzug <laughs> was uh, there at my time, and she was probably the most left person in the Congress from the same area that... Uh, uh, Alexandria Cortez comes from and uh, not the same district, but the same general
0: climate uh, in New York. But you don't think that we have with a Democratic Socialist and a moderate Democrat running against one another? You're going to you're seeing a fissure in the party that's going to have to be resolved in the months ahead. Well, I tell you, the
3: uh, I'm not even sure that Bernie is a democratic socialist. I mean, he's branded himself essentially as a socialist. And what I said from the very beginning was that you cannot have socialism anywhere in the world since you got cell phones. (laughs) Socialism and cell phones. And and the illustration is that when, when Britain was trying to decide whether or not to join the European community, and adopt the Euro. Uh, George Soros alone uh, thought it was a bad thing, so he used his cell phone (laughs) to call somebody and sold, I think it was 250 billion pounds and drove the value of the pound down. And Britain could not join the Euro. And after it was over, he bought the pounds back uh and um and made money on it <laughs> and so no government c- can control its currency at its borders in today's world and that means that uh, <clears throat> anytime you raise taxes too high people can move their money somewhere else now what we've done here in atlanta and that's why i wanted to get in this because I don't think people understand that we have never I mean our airport is not built with taxpayer money it's built with Wall Street money and that's why I can't I mean I can't be against Wall Street Atlanta has lived on Wall Street and Maynard Jackson uh, and it's it goes back before all the way back to Hartsfield I don't know where the money came from the first airport, uh, but Mayor Allen had a plan of improvement and almost everything we've been doing was already agreed on uh, in, in this 1960 and 61 when he was running. <clears throat> but the way we paid for it was with tax exempt municipal bonds. Now, we've done almost $20 billion worth of those bonds. And I did about almost a billion when I was there. Uh, Shirley, every mayor. Shirley Franklin. Shirley Franklin. Every mayor since Maynard has done close to a billion dollars or more. And
0: what do you make of that?
3: What does that mean about the that future of the city? That means that that airport has been growing. It's been making money. It's been creating jobs. And the taxpayers haven't had to pay for it. The only taxpayer money that's gone into that airport was under Senator Talmadge. When he helped us move, we relocated Highway 85 uh, two miles to the west in order to put the
0: present terminal— is right in the middle of where Highway 85 so used to be. what does that tell you about what you're thinking? For, well, first of all, what does it tell you about the uh, states, uh, the, by the efforts of some legislators that continue to try to uh, do a state takeover of Hartford? I don't think they understand it because it, all it means is they're taking over debt.
3: Uh, and I don't know whether—I mean, I don't know. There's a very delicate balance there uh, that we have nursed— uh, from the very beginning, from the 60s, 61. And I, I think, uh, Kevin, you all did a, a wonderful report on the airport uh, where you didn't say how much we, we spent on it, but you did say that there was an $84 billion impact yeah, yeah. in the region. I mean, I think what. And, what, over, a, right. and over a million jobs that are created. And, but I remind people that there's no taxpayer money doing that. There was no taxpayer money in the Olympics.
1: In other words, so See. as mayor, you go out and you you uh, issue a billion dollars in bonds. And you're paying that back as the airport as the airport brings in money through the air, airline fee, landing fees, concession fees, all of that. Everybody, as a taxpayer in Atlanta, I never have to service you, that bond. You never have to pay for that. Right, you, let me, let me, you never have to why service why jump that bond. Be,
0: he, it's, it's Unless re- somebody messes up the balance. As long as we're talking Hartsfield, Heath, um, as the Republican right. in the room, you know it's, it's some of your friends, your Republican friends in the legislature that have pushed this for a long time, um, take over.
2: That's right. Uh, you know, talk about it. Well, I think that uh, Ambassador Young's absolutely right. First of all, the airport is the goose that laid the golden egg for Metro Atlanta, the state of Georgia, and even the South. And when you were mayor and when you were serving in Congress, we all owe you a debt of gratitude for having mm. being part of that group of people who had the foresight to see the growth that could come, number one. Number two, you're exactly right. It's one of the best financial deals for the taxpayers of the region. And what happens, Bill, is every 15 to 20 years, there's a little bit of a scandal, usually not... Not during Mayor Young's tenure. Not. Not during. Was childhood. there no scandal during? No, there I can't was. remember that. Oh, yeah, was, yeah, I thought there was, there was something built my down.
3: Nine people went to jail.
2: Yes. So. So. Yeah. So. The little, and but when, it was.
3: Uh, two of them on the city council. None more of them were my appointees. Right. I think that's the right. point I would make. Right? <laughs> just to, just to be not, clear, it was, the, was not your administration. No, but it was, right. the, pri- it was the
2: private contractors. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And See, when that happens, that's yeah. what kind of, just in the legislature, back then it were Democrats who raised the idea that's of the exactly state taking right. over. Now we're Republican. The legislature then says we're one of the few airports in the country who's not run by the state or by a regional authority. But when it's running well, you don't hear that as much anymore. I know you want
1: to take a break. Can we keep going on this? I want to talk about socialism, too. Yeah, I I want to talk about socialism as
0: well. Uh, You want to talk more about the airport? Yeah. All right. We'll take your requests uh, and play your favorite songs after these messages.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News
0: We're back in the uh, studio for uh, Political Rewind uh, with uh, Kevin Riley, editor of the AJC, Heath Garrett, Republican strategist, and Ambassador Andrew Young, who, you know, whenever we have conversations, uh, Andy, you and I, they just go and— 18 different directions, and we're just accepting that that's the way it is, and that's kind of fun. We get your thoughts about a lot of things. The airport had come up, and uh, Kevin Riley, you called the uh, request hotline and asked if you could ask a question <laughs> well, I, I about just want the to airport ask this. before we move
1: on. I'm a relative newcomer to Atlanta. I mean, approaching 10 years here now, but um, it, it, why does, Ambassador Young, why, why does the airport seem to get caught up in scandal at regular intervals? And, well, at, and thus at regular invite the legislature yeah, to
3: get involved. At regular intervals, uh, contracts come up. Um, I think the contract for uh, the concessions is every seven years, or yeah. it used to be. Yeah. So every seven years, uh, contracts have to be renewed, and people have have the mistaken notion that this is a cash cow. The truth of it is, uh, the parking lot makes more money than the concessions, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, real, the only people who really make big money are the airlines who get, well, Delta pays less, I think, per gate at Atlanta than anywhere else in the world, uh, so it's a good place for airlines. And the airlines are profitable, cool. uh, but when uh, Kasim and Richard Anderson, Richard Anderson, Delta CEO Delta at CEO the time of Kasim Reed's mayor, negotiated uh, another twenty billion dollars worth of debt, so the 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 municipal bonds, tax exempt municipal bonds, not costing the taxpayer a penny, they didn't even have to vote on it. Uh, these two guys. <laughs> uh, promoted bonds to pay for the G concourse, which is our fourth international concourse, uh, a thousand-room hotel uh, there on the airport property, and the sixth and seventh runways. Now, the real money is probably in the sixth and seventh runways, and... uh, The construction. The construction. Gotcha. uh, and um, there's a feeling that black folk are making all the money. Uh, black folk are controlling many of the, the uh, concessions, but there's almost always a partnership with somebody.
0: I, I want to, I if, okay. I, if right. I may, I want to get you back. I want to talk presidential for a, a couple more minutes. You just before the break— uh, talked about the uh, – you sang the praises of Wall Street capitalism, uh, which I think tells us that you are not going to endorse Bernie Sanders for president of the United States.
3: <laughs> well, because I, I, I don't think he understands. And oh. and, and uh, from the very beginning, he became mayor in Burlington about mm. the same time I became mayor here. Did you know him at all? Did no, you, I didn't know him. OK. But there's no reason to know him because nothing's happened in
0: Burlington but Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> are you? Are, would you like to take advantage of the opportunity to be on the show to endorse another candidate for president? Well, there's nobody else hardly running. So who do well, you want to? No, I, I wanted to work.
3: I, I wanted to work with all the candidates. Now, my my fascination with Bloomberg was that Bloomberg said that he was going to stay in till the end. My major interest, and it's been an interest since Bush, was after Katrina. I tried to get the White House under President Bush uh, to create an enterprise zone, uh, one mile on each side of the river, from New Orleans to, to New, Orleans? New Orleans to New to, Orleans to Minnesota, uh, and do along the river, what we do at the airport. That there's, I can almost guarantee that if you could sell tax-exempt municipal bonds uh, in a 2,000-mile corridor, you could put together a trillion dollars of private money. Uh, The the Mississippi River needs $125 billion dollars, just to catch it up they haven't put any money in the mississippi river since 1936 and that was only supposed to last for 50 years and what years. would that
0: money be used for that
3: money would be used to restructure the dams okay that's what i and, assumed uh, and the infrastructure right. of the
0: river but also to stop it from flooding all right do you want would you all right but wait a second are you going to endorse Joe Biden for president? Sure. Okay, I mean, it's a Joe deal. Biden is
1: my friend. He <laughs> made some news on this show. <laughs> <laughs> you made wow, it took on a while show. to get but that. You, no, no, going but, back but, to saying you worked but,
3: with all the candidates. Well, yeah, because when I met with Mayor Pete, I said, you know, I was wrong about Jimmy Carter. I was wrong about Bill Clinton. Uh, I was wrong about, uh, I never thought there'd be a president named Hussein, Barack Hussein Obama. So don't pay any attention to what I say about (laughs) president. I said, one thing I know something about, though, is the United Nations. And I said, you would be the
0: perfect United Nations ambassador. Ah. So if you're endorsing Biden today, uh, as you apparently just have done, you may have some influence. I,
3: I, I, I sponsored the first fundraiser Biden had in this town. With Mac Wilburn.
1: Really? Yeah. Why For, do you think Mayor Pete would be a good UN ambassador? Let's get back to that.
3: Well, a number of reasons. One, he's friendly, he's articulate, uh, it's personal diplomacy. Uh he speaks languages and he's gay.
1: Okay, so you, you were a UN ambassador and, and yeah. so. No, I tell you
3: why. That that there are places in the world now that uh where they're trying to make homosexuality a capital crime. And for the United States of America to have a good, smart young man representing us. Like, nobody had to say anything about me. The fact that I showed up (laughs) in Africa was, where did he come from? We haven't had an American like him.
0: You know, there's an <laughs> irony, Heath
3: Garrett. I, I, it's s- not politically. See, um, the gay population is probably close to a third of our population now.
0: Uh, and uh, well, it's certainly a potent force in Atlanta politics. We no,
3: know not Atlanta in 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 American yeah, po- I understand politics, and possibly the world politics. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm not advocating. I'm simply saying that. You have to be represented
0: and we have to represent all Americans. So I want to – this is – you know, this isn't even a sore subject for Andrew Young. Uh, It's interesting that Bernie Sanders is being – uh, uh, criticized heavily, that there are people who are frightened, Democrats who are frightened of him uh, because, for instance, he's made uh, somewhat friendly remarks about Fidel Castro. No, that doesn't bother me. Well, of course it doesn't because you have always been a big tent guy, including, as UN ambassador, the controversy that ended up costing you your job was your decision to meet privately and without the support of the uh, uh,
1: administration. That's not true. Okay, no. I mean, the, the, this is. Let's explain the situation. We'll take a minute because not everybody will be the, familiar. Well, when, no. yeah.
0: when when
3: when Andrew- I was ambassador to the United Nations, exactly, and I had to hear all parties in a dispute. Right. Uh, there was a report on the committee on Palestinian rights that was supposed to come up in June. Both Moshe Dayan, uh, the foreign minister of Israel and Shimon Peres, the former prime minister of Israel, uh, sought me out personally and asked me to help. And I said, I really was not in a position, this had to go through Washington. But then the Palestinians, instead of bringing up their report in June, uh, when they were supposed to, saved it till August, when I was the president of the Security Council. By law, I have to meet with all parties of, this, of, of a dispute. I met with them to tell them I was going to have to uh, veto uh, their proposal. And if, because that was when the Carter administration was changing the guard. I said, now if you can save it till January, we may be able to get together. but." They were agreeing with Israel on everything Israel and the U.S. had been trying to get them to agree on. The problem was they wanted to do it through a U.N. resolution, and it could only be done with the two parties sitting down and working together on it.
0: Yeah, and, but of course— And in
3: trying to straighten that out—
0: the, the media misrepresented what you were well, doing? Well, no, it, it, it was not the media. It was really the State Department. So, he, he, <laughs> you know what, Heath? I, the reason I brought that up, of course, is, you know, we're watching it play out in presidential politics. But I want to read something to you. Uh, Martin Schram was a reporter for The Washington Post at that time. And here's how he wrote about the last day. And I think it's a beautiful tribute to you, in fact, Andy. Eve, it, Hamilton Jordan called a meeting of the senior staff. And, um, and you got up to announce your departure. And, and Martin Schramm reports that you said you told the staff you felt you had too often been a source of controversy and embarrassment for the president and that you wanted to see Jimmy Carter reelected and you decided to resign. Andy Young had kind words for his colleagues in the room. They had kind words for him. There were embraces and even tears. It was a decent and human way to consecrate a decision that some of those in the room had come to the night before that this controversy could end only with the departure of Young as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. It was a decision that Young had come to see for himself. So despite the fact that it was a great controversy, uh, clearly it was a very humane departure. It was and it –
3: well, President Carter – uh didn't want to take the my resignation, so I gave it to Cy Vance, <laughs> Secretary of State. Um, Stu Eisenstadt was in touch with Moshe Dayan in Israel, and they were trying to get a f- statement from Begin uh, asking Carter to keep me on, hmm. uh, and Begin had to go to the hospital. Uh, I was afraid New York is not like Atlanta. In Atlanta, you could ride through a controversy, but the Hasidic Jewish community in Brooklyn and the black community were very tense. And I knew that if I stayed there and one community started picketing, either for or against me, the other community would come down, and all I could see
0: was a race okay, ride in front but, of the U.S. See Heath, this is exactly <laughs> so I why. To get out of so I mention this because right now Bernie Sanders dealing with the controversy of having had some kind words to say about the Castro regime, and then as Andy talks about the um, the Orthodox Jewish community in New York, uh, Bernie Sanders gets himself in trouble because he condemns APAC for being a bigoted organization. I mean, we're seeing this sort of. Uh, politic it play out right now in our presidential campaign
2: (laughs) no no, it really is and and first of all i think these are the kind of stories ambassador that the younger generation needs to hear right about decency and 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 being part of the team and then you also said something crucial that uh you know you actually took these opportunities and leveraged them to do more in the world not less uh but going to this uh bill i think it's fascinating to watch this democratic primary play out they are uh, the establishment and the Democratic Party to the extent that exists I've not, the swiftness with which they rallied around Biden and went from a, literally a week ago the political obituaries to Super Thursday, which it is today mm-hmm. <laughs> a little inside joke about Biden there. Um, it is today a Super Tuesday uh, tells me and we, we've heard it here right there are no, there are no elected Democrats in uh, marginal districts in the state of Georgia or anywhere in the country who were excited about running with Bernie Sanders. And so when you take, and I think Ambassador Young got it right, I mean, I think democratic socialism is an oxymoron because socialism itself goes against individual liberty at the end of the day, and it definitely goes against capitalism, which I think benefits everybody of well, all that's colors. I say,
3: that's why I use the term public purpose capitalism. Yeah, We right. define the public purpose of bringing the Olympics. (laughs) That's right. It didn't take a vote. It required no city money, no state money, and no federal money. And we did it privately, see? And we raised $2.5 billion privately. Uh, 41% of it went to minority and female-owned companies. And we had $100 million left over, uh, which I think went into that Centennial Park, Uh, when we got through. And that's the way we've done business here in Atlanta. Uh, There's no public money in the uh, aquarium and there's no public money in, uh, that's uh, Bernie Marcus. Yeah, sure is. And uh, uh, then uh, Dan Cathy and and Chick-fil-A took over the uh, uh, football museum the College of Football Hall of, Hall of Fame, fame yeah. yeah, yeah. College Football Hall of Fame, uh, the Mercedes Benz Dome. Well, there's a good deal of sta- of, of no.
0: taxpayer money in the Mercedes
3: Benz. Hotel hotel, no, hotel,
1: hotel, motel tax, right? No. Well,
3: no, but yeah. the, the, that's that's the hotel motel tax, which is being generated by the people who are coming to the mercedes-benz dome
0: all right uh let's do this we gotta get
3: if the mercedes-benz dome were not there there would be no hotel motel tax but we are the leading convention center in the nation now because of these things that we have put together with tax-exempt municipal bonds
0: and no tax dollars. I got to get another break out of the way. Let's do it real quickly and come back with more with uh, uh, Andy Young and our panel. Heath Garrett, Kevin Riley, Ambassador Andrew Young, all in the studio for this conversation. It it just keeps going. I'm having a good time. I hope you all are listening. I hope you, Kevin and Heath, are. Andy, you too. Oh, by the way, you endorsed uh, Biden on the show a few minutes ago. Will you go out and campaign for him? Um, yeah. All
3: right. But, but, but <laughs> that no. <was> easy. <laughs> but but I. But I'd rather campaign on the Mississippi River. Right. I get that. And and the reason why I'm, I mean, politically, well, this is this is a. It it caused the flooding along the river cost $364 billion last year. It's gonna be that again this year. Uh, it could be prevented. They don't have enough money. Congress is, what, $3 trillion in debt. They can't put up a trillion dollars. But I went to President Bush first, and I went back to uh, uh, President Obama, but he it was too late for him, and. He had the automobile crisis and the bank crisis. The first, I was one of the first people to go see President Trump, with the idea that these 29 states, the 31 states that border on the Mississippi River, Trump carried 29 of them. So say that's Trump so, country. And um, I thought this was a good way for him to start his infrastructure program, and. And not have to pay for it.
0: Yeah, you really tried to uh, build a relationship with him early in the administration. Well, it, it didn't it, last. <laughs> no, it, it, uh, I'm,
3: I'm first an American. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, uh, when I first came to Georgia, uh, my first vote in this state was Republicans. Who did you vote for? I voted for Eisenhower. Interesting. And wow. the reason I voted for Eisenhower was there were no white Republicans. The only Republicans were the black and tan Republican Party. And Maynard Jackson's grandfather said, <laughs> down here, you might have been for Stevenson in Connecticut and somewhere else. But down here, you've got to vote for Eisenhower. Heath, there you no, go. Bring I'd back the Eisenhower
0: Republican Party and you'll have uh, Mayor well, Young in your but uh, camp.
3: Because of that, every judge... That was appointed by Eisenhower was nominated by black Republicans. Well, and the party so all of, of, us, of all of our civil rights judges, every case we won in the civil rights movement and the 1954 decision
0: were all Eisenhower so appointees. Let me, if I could, I want to ask Heath, uh, and, and I want to get everybody to answer this if you could. How, Heath, um, how concerned do you think Republican – well, Democratic strategists too – strategists of both parties should be about how coronavirus viruses handled? How big an issue is that going to be moving forward uh, in electoral politics?
2: I think this is good. its really the unknown unknown that Don Rumsfeld used to talk about, right? Nobody saw this coming three months ago. It wasn't in anybody's political plans. It's royal the stock market uh, for the time being. And, of course, it depends on how, on how it plays out in the, uh, the, in the United States of America and around the world. But, you know, if you go back to it, it's the economy, stupid, right, that James Carville said, how does it affect the economy? How does Trump's response is being measured? That's why he's rallied a whole group and put the vice president in charge. But it could affect both the Democratic primary yeah. here on out yeah. and it absolutely could have a huge impact. And there's nothing that political strategy can really do right? Other than advise their clients to be proactive on on it. But it is a, a contagion. I was over at the CDC yesterday and they're doing everything they can. We have the world's leading folks to solve that problem right here in Atlanta, Georgia, because of the groundwork that we talked about in these public-private partnerships. But Absolutely, the game changer, possibly in this election. But
0: Kevin, the uh, CDC is coming into for some significant criticism for for a number of problems that people perceive they're having with uh, being prepared for this.
1: Right, well, but
3: they but they cut the budget. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, right.
1: you know, we are obviously at the AJC. This is just all day long, every day now. We're covering this, and I, I said a little bit of this on the show last week. This is one of those occasions where you have a crisis. And it is really government's job to to work our way through this. There are other aspects to it, obviously. But in the end, this is a moment when citizens want to be able to rely on their government to come through to solve these problems, to help guide them to be trusted. And I think we could pay a bad and difficult price during this period because we have had years now of people for various reasons, often political, wanting to tear down trust and support and financing of our government. We're all, and we need it now.
0: We're almost out of time. I'd love to get your reaction to that, but are you going to stop traveling? Inter- You're the, the best no, well, international traveler. Have you decided that now's the time you should not travel?
3: No, I, I haven't. And one, of the reasons, one of my staff people got a message from a friend of his who is in the, the city where, and he's one of the managers in China, and what he's saying, and I don't know how to verify it, but is that uh, they're advising people to drink a lot of warm water, uh, that uh, keeping the body warm and keeping the uh, esophagus lubricated, that this comes when you, your throat gets dry and the virus goes into your lungs you get infected All right. i'm sorry i really don't mean to interrupt We're just well, i'm going to say one more thing time. anyway because <laughs> because it it says hopefully that when it gets to about 26 degrees fahrenheit the virus kills dies
0: now i don't know what that is that's about in the 80s But you'll keep traveling to Africa? You'll keep doing other international travel? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I'm sorry. We're completely out of time. Ambassador Andrew Young, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Let's look for the sun to kill the virus. Okay, Let's Let's look for the
3: sun. I love Andrew Young. The dogwoods dogwoods are coming out this morning. Uh, And when the sun comes out, maybe the virus will go away. We're (laughs) out of here. See you all tomorrow.